Welcome to the Faithbridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by Bible teacher Duffy Robbins and was recorded on Sunday, July 16th, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You could also follow us on Instagram at Faithbridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called Faithbridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Duffy. Yeah, good to see everybody this morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Duffy Robbins. We haven't met. And uh, what a pleasure to see everybody here at uh, Faith Bridge. Those of you who are joining us online, thank you. Thank you. We love having you worship with us. And if you're in the communion service, good to have you with us as well. Uh, Some of you may know the name Don Richardson. Don Richardson was a missionary working among the Sawi people, S-A-W-I, the Sawi people of Irian Jaya, uh, Indonesia, a primitive uh, Stone Age tribe of, of headhunters and cannibals, and, and it was dangerous and, and, and tedious work. He was living among these people trying to uh, translate uh, the Bible into English, so to learn, I mean, into the Sawi language, to learn their language and their customs. And he finally learned enough uh, of the language to share the gospel. And as you can imagine, uh, there was tremendous curiosity in the village. Uh, you know, what was this white man from America so eager uh, to tell us? And so finally, on the day of the big reveal, uh, Don Richardson gathered together all the men of the tribe, because the men were, they were to hear this first, and uh, crowded all of them into what the Sawi people call a man hut. Man hut, that was a kind of a place where the men could gather together and swap stories and play video games and uh, you know, watch a big screen TV and play ping pong. And, and uh, anyway, that's when Richardson, for the very first time in Sawi culture, actually began to tell these men the, the powerful and, and poignant story of Easter week, Passion Week. He began to tell them the story. Um, but as soon as he got into the story, he began to realize that something was wrong. There was just this vibe. It wasn't connecting uh, he, he looked around the room and he saw mostly uh, faces that were blank and, and disinterested, um, not unlike what I'm seeing this morning. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and he, he, he couldn't figure it out. But then he finally got to the point in Easter week where Judas betrayed Jesus. And as soon as he mentions Judas's betrayal of Jesus, the room just comes alive smiles all around. Guys are nodding at each other. Uh, and, 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 and what he didn't know at that time was that in Sawi culture, uh, betrayal is considered one of the highest virtues. Betrayal is considered one of the highest. It was a mark of cunning and shrewdness. It was the way you kind of you mark your legend. And, of course, he, he knew he had a problem. I mean, imagine you're Don Richardson. You're going to write your supporters and your donors a letter from the field, and you say, I got good news and I got bad news. Good news is we had 13 decisions at our first meeting. Bad news is 12 of them were for Judas. But, uh, but uh, it, it was tough. It's, it's tough. It's always tough, you know, to share God's good news in a culture whose customs and values are so different from the kingdom of God. In that case, uh, instead of seeing Jesus as a savior, they just saw Jesus as kind of this laughable, uh, pitiful dupe. But of course, we don't really have to go to an exotic tribe 
in Indonesia to confront that kind of challenge, do we? Because, uh, you know, we, for all of our sophistication and technology, we live in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity. Uh, every day we're surrounded by messages of, of, of modern-day tribal warfare. And, and whether it's the 9.6 billion visitors that log on to porn websites every month or our current uh, kind of uh, current social experiments around marriage and, and gender, we live in a culture uh, that, that, you know, that at one time might have been considered uh, maybe disgraceful or, or thinkable, and now it's often championed by our elites and our, uh, our intellectuals as sort of liberated and, and enlightened thinking. And the question is, that I want us to consider this morning is that's the question faced by Don Richardson. How do we faithfully share good news in that kind of bad news culture? Um, how do we share good news in a bad news culture? And that is precisely the question the church faced head on uh, in the passage we're going to read this morning in our ongoing story from the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible, uh, if you just raise your hand, these folks coming down the aisle, these very congenial people will be happy to give you one. Just raise your hand. You can keep that. You can keep that as a gift uh, from us here at Faith Bridge Church. Acts is kind of about... Uh, about three quarters of the way through the Bible. It's in the New Testament. You're going to go to Acts chapter 14, and we're going to begin with Acts 14, verse 8. Verse 8. And you'll notice uh, the way we're going to do it this morning is rather than go through the passage uh, sort of uh, in one big chunk, uh, I want us to look over the passage sort of one one bite at a time. So we're going to begin there in verse 8. And you'll notice it begins there with the words, now at Lystra. Now at Lystra. To sort of set the stage for this uh, fascinating passage, we have to understand that uh, the early church at this point in the book of Acts is launching out in a, a bold mission to take the gospel into the whole world. Uh, we heard this last week from Scott when he uh, preached on chapter 13 of the book of Acts. Paul and Barnabas had been sent out by the church in Antioch, uh, and they began their journey, uh, first of all, sailing east to Cyprus, then north to Perga, and then on to the city in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, and then back again to Antioch of Syria. All total, uh, the journey actually covers about 895 miles. And, and mind you, they were traveling by foot. They were traveling by foot. Scholars reckon they probably would have had to walk about 15 miles a day. And it was hard travel. It was hard travel. Now, exactly why they went to Lystra is a little bit up for grabs. A small town um, in uh, south-central modern-day Turkey, Lystra was a market town that archaeologists and historians describe as kind of a backwater, sort of a backwater. They, based on ancient writings, uh, most people consider the place to be rustic uh, with inhabitants that, frankly, uh, were not very uh, learned. Uh, in fact, depending on which ancient writing you read, the people of Lystra were militant, intractable, non-Roman in their lifestyle. They had little regard for civil law 
and were mostly troublemakers and robbers. Think of the bar scene in Star Wars. Uh, you know, as one writer put it, this would be like living in the Wild West. I think the best way for us to understand it is what it would be like if you lived out here in Conroe. You know, it's brutal. And in verse 8, as soon as Paul and Barnabas get into town, they begin to do open-air ministry. And Paul tells us, Luke tells us, there was a man who was sitting in the audience who could not use his feet. He'd never walked because he was crippled from birth. But apparently, his ears and his brain and his heart were working just fine. Because in verse 9 of Luke chapter 14, we read, As the man listened to Paul speaking, Paul could just sense that this guy had faith to be made well. So, verse 10, Paul spoke up in a loud voice, just spoke up, pointed to the guy and said, stand upright on your feet. And Luke tells us this man sprang up and began walking. Now, you might wonder, well, that sounds kind of awesome. Like, how was Paul given the insight that this man on this occasion had faith to be healed? And the answer is, we don't know. We don't know that. But what's fascinating, this is actually the very first time in the book of Acts where we see Paul perform a miracle of, of any kind. So this was a, this was a gutsy uh, move, right? Paul's staking everything on the fact that God right here, right now, was going to heal this guy's foot. And you see it in the very next verse, in the text there, verse 10, Luke reports very straightforward terms. The man leapt up. He leapt up and he began walking around. Unfortunately, as we continue to read in the text, that's when things got weird. Look at verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lycaonian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, bought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Oh my gosh. I mean, this is, you know, you know one of the most basic uh, principles of communication is it's not what we say. It's what they hear that matters. It's not what we say, it's what they hear. Maybe some of you who are, who are married can appreciate this. Uh, it, it's not what we say, it's what they hear. And, and you've probably seen something like this online, uh, you know, where a company will, will take the slogan that they've been using in the United States, and then they use it overseas, but it has a completely, a completely different meaning. So, so, for example, the beauty product company, Clairol, uh, introduced their curling iron, the, the Mystic. Um, in Germany without realizing that uh, mist in German uh, actually is slang for manure. Uh, and in, in, Chinese, in Chinese, the KFC uh, phrase, finger looking good, translates as eat your fingers off. Uh, and then I like this one, uh, the Scandinavian uh, vacuum cleaner company, uh, Electrolux, unwittingly launched their campaign in America with this slogan, nothing sucks like Electrolux. <laughs> and, and some of you remember Pepsi's old uh, invitation, uh, come alive with the Pepsi generation. Remember that? In, in Chinese, that means Pepsi brings your relatives back from the grave. 
But my favorite, my favorite was an American um, t-shirt maker who was designing clothing to celebrate the Pope's 2018 visit to Chile. And he mistranslated the phrase El Papa to La Papa. So instead of the shirt saying, I saw the Pope, folks were walking around Santiago with t-shirts saying, I saw the potato. <laughs> I saw the potato. I mean, it's just, it's just that, that occupational hazard, right? When, when, when you translate a message from one culture to another culture, and as Don Richardson discovered with the Sali people, it's a big, it's a big challenge. I mean, Paul had, had healed this lame man by the power of God, but the crowds thought he healed the lame man because he was God. So they began to refer to Barnabas as Zeus and Paul as Hermes. Now, uh, let me just explain for those of you who are not uh, keeping up with your pagan deities. Uh, here, here's some quick background. We know from ancient inscriptions that the two deities, Zeus and Hermes, were widely worshipped uh, in ancient Greek and especially uh, in the region of Lystra. Zeus, uh, called Jupiter by the Romans, uh, was the supreme god. He was, he was the chief of the pantheon. He was the god of good and evil. Hermes uh, was the messenger of the gods. He was the messenger of gods. The Romans uh, called him by the name Mercury. And it's fascinating. Archaeologists uh, who have studied this have noticed a remarkable likeness between Hermes and Dusty Hill, the bass player for ZZ Top. <laughs> Now remember, and, and Luke is very careful to document this, that even though the crowds could understand Paul when he preached to them in Greek, Paul and Barnabas didn't understand what was being said when the people in the crowd spoke to each other in the Lycaonian language. So Paul and Barnabas didn't really understand how sideways everything had gone at first until all of a sudden the priest shows up with oxen and garlands and wants in their honor to throw a sacrifice party. And, and, and that's when in verse 14, Paul and Barnabas tore their garments, they tore, which was the custom in Jewish culture to, to, to show outrage. It, it, this was Paul and Barnabas responding to what they uh, saw as and understood as just utter blasphemy to the majesty of God. And they rushed out in the crowd, crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet, yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Which is, is in a way, is kind of an interesting message, isn't it? Because he doesn't say anything about Jesus. Like he didn't mention Jesus, he didn't mention the cross, he doesn't mention redemption, he doesn't mention VeggieTales, he, he, he doesn't mention any of that stuff. Now, it's clear, obviously, Luke is just giving us a summary of what Paul is saying. This is not a, this is not a transcript of, of the sermon, but from what we can see, Paul doesn't even refer to the Old Testament. He doesn't even refer to the Old Testament. Now, what he does describe, what he does describe is a God who is alive, a God who is real, and a God who is 
good. In, in a way, um, it's remarkable. It's kind of an echo of those words in Hebrews 11.6, isn't it? Where, where we read, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Paul says in verse 15, look, this is a living God. This is a God who is, and, and they need to turn from vain things. In other words, they're useless, dead gods, because the one true God is a rewarder of those who seek him. Notice verse 15. He, he points to the one true God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And verse 17, this God does good does good by giving us rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying our hearts with food and gladness. So Paul, Paul urges them to worship the one true God. In fact, he says in verse 16, now look, God allowed all the nations at one time to walk in their own ways, but now he is making himself known in special ways and they need to turn from these vain things. And we don't know, uh, it's quite possible that Paul might have said more had he the opportunity, but watch what happens in verse 18. There apparently, uh, in verse 18, we read, first of all, there are a lot of people uh, who, who, who still wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas, so that was a bit of a distraction. And, and then second, verse 19, is if all that weren't chaotic enough, Luke tells us that Jews came, they showed up from Antioch and Iconium and incited the crowd to strike back at Paul for his insult to Zeus and Hermes. And that's when they stoned Paul, just, just you know, brutally attacking him until they're pretty darn sure he was dead. Uh, at that point, they just, they just dragged him out of the city. I mean, it was just a, it was just a mess. But here's the crazy part. Talk about, a, talk about a heart for the gospel. Look at verse 20. As it turned out, Paul hadn't died. He hadn't, and I think it's safe to say he, he wasn't feeling very chipper, but, but, uh, but some of the believers gathered around him. Maybe they were praying for him. Maybe they were tending to his wounds. But just like that lame man, Paul all of a sudden stands up and starts walking away. In fact, the very next day, verse 20, he and Barnabas move out to Derbe, the next stop on the journey, which, oh, by the way, was a four to five day, 65 mile journey. Crazy, huh? I mean, just, just another day in the life of a missionary. And before we move into what this passage means for all of us this morning, I, I do want to make a few comments about the way these verses testify to the trustworthiness of Scripture, to the trustworthiness of Scripture. Because I don't know, maybe, you know, maybe you're here this morning and, um, and, and maybe you even consider yourself a believer or maybe you don't, but when you hear these passages we've been reading in, in the Gospel of Luke and now the book of Acts, you sort of think of them as sort of a cross between Aesop's fable and a Netflix docudrama and the Ballad of Davy Crockett. Like, they're kind of nice stories, but they're not actually history. No careful 
observer with an open mind can read through this passage without taking note of the remarkable accuracy with which Luke writes his account. And I'm just going to give you two examples, two examples. Well, let's start with historical accuracy. The renowned Scottish scholar Sir William Ramsey was a lecturer in classical art and archaeology at Oxford when he went to Asia Minor, this part of the world, for archaeological work. And at the time, he was a, he was a convinced atheist. And, and because he was influenced by the assumptions of most scholars at the time, he expected to find that the book of Acts was mostly propaganda. You know, something written by Luke probably sometime in the second century, long after this stuff supposedly happened. And it was really just kind of a puff piece uh, to, to prop up Paul's reputation uh, in, in, in the early church, kind of an extended press release for Paul. But listen to this. It was the remarkable geographical detail in precisely this chapter. Acts chapter 14 that Ramsey said caused him to completely change his mind. Eventually, in fact, William Ramsey shocked the entire intellectual world by writing that he had converted to Christianity. Now, I certainly am no expert on classical art and archaeology in ancient Near Eastern culture. Perhaps you aren't as well. But, 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 but in his book, the bearing of recent discovery on the trustworthiness of the New Testament, Ramsey writes, you may press the words of Luke in a degree beyond any other historians and they stand the keenest scrutiny and the hardest treatment. In fact, he went on to write elsewhere, Luke is an historian of the first rank. Not merely are his statements of fact trustworthy, this author should be placed along with the very greatest of Historians. And what that means this morning, to put it bluntly, is, is you might choose this morning to sort of dismiss the Bible as a bunch of myths and, 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 and kind of fairy tales. But there is plenty of evidence, archaeological and historical evidence, that strongly suggests otherwise. That's amazing. That's profound. That's significant. But, but let, let's consider one other um, kind of, I think, interesting observation. The first observation we said points to Luke's uh, historical accuracy. The second one actually points to Luke's uh, meticulous honesty, his, his meticulous honesty. Let's go back to text. Um, look there at verse 19. Um, did, I don't know if you noticed the, this kind of remarkable detail. When the Jews from Antioch and Iconium showed up in Lystra and they provoked the crowd to stone Paul. Luke tells us that the mob dragged him out of the city. Why? Because they supposed that he was dead. But Luke tells us in verse 20, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. Now, think about it for a minute. If, if Luke w was just some fanboy, you know, writing about Paul, this would have been the perfect opportunity to boost Paul's credibility because everybody on the scene thought Paul was dead. They thought Paul was dead. What a cool opportunity for Luke to say, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, right, yeah, Paul died. Yeah, he died. It was, it was, it was like hard to watch. Oh, my gosh, like those stones, ouchie. I mean, by the power of God, though, uh, Paul rose from the dead. So God is an amazing God, and Paul is his main man. But Luke didn't write that. 
He didn't write that. You know why Luke didn't write that? Because Luke wasn't writing propaganda. He was writing history. And he was a doctor. He knew Paul wasn't dead. So he wrote the account exactly as it happened. In other words, if Luke says signs and wonders were happening by the power of God as he does in the early verses of chapter 14, that's because signs and wonders were happening by the power of God. And, and, and if Luke says a lame man who, who couldn't use his feet got healed and started leaping and walking around, that's because a lame man who was lame from birth couldn't use his feet, got healed, and started leaping and walking around. Because as Paul explained it that day in Acts chapter 14, the God at the center of these stories is not some two-bit man-made deity fashioned from gold or, or stone or mythology. The God at the center of these stories today is the living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. This is history because history is his story. It's his story. We can trust that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Bottom line, men and women, what that means for us is the stuff we read in this book every week, uh, it's, not, it's not fake news. It's good news. It's good news. So what does all this stuff mean for us this morning? Uh, let's, let's finish with two critical takeaways from Acts chapter 14. There, there are several more. This is, a, this is a rich chapter, but let's just consider these two. Uh, the first is a, a lesson about witness. A lesson about witness. Uh, perspective. Perspective uh, is a funny thing, isn't it? Like we see something so clearly from our perspective, but somebody else looks at the exact same evidence, and they come up with a completely different interpretation. You know, what's, what's so important to notice in Acts chapter 14 is the way Paul engaged this pagan population of Lystra on their terms. He was willing to take seriously their perspective. He was willing to take seriously their perspective. I mean, it took him a few minutes, right? Especially uh, with the language barrier. But, but when it dawned on him that what he and Barnabas saw as a testimony to the living God of creation, the townspeople and the temple priest saw as a, a visitation of pagan deities. But once Paul got a sense of their perspective, he met them where they Work. He met them where they're, and he began to share the faith at that point. You, you go back and read uh, verses 15 and 17. He didn't say, oh, 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 well, you know, uh, everything's a matter of perspective. Uh, you think God's a little statue you can kind of put on the hearth or a little feathery thing you can hang from your rearview mirror. That's awesome. Whatever your truth is, that's cool. He didn't affirm their false ideas, but he took seriously their ideas. In fact, the text says in, in the last words of verse 14, Paul cried out. He cried out. And, and the literal Greek word there is onomatopoetic. In other words, a sound. It's a sound word. And, and that word in particular is meant to sound like the cry of a raven. So, so it suggests a loud, urgent, emotional appeal by Paul. Paul wasn't going to shrink from calling out their idolatry, but he also wasn't going to throw up his hands and just say, these fools are too far gone. 
These people are too far. What he did do, and this is, this is so important, is he affirmed what was true in their false ideas. What was true in their false ideas, and then he used that as a bridge to help them understand something about the one true living God. Uh, he said, in essence, in verse 17, you're right. You're right to sense there's something bigger than us, something that sustains our lives with rain and, and, and food and gladness. And you're right. You're right in longing to know the source of that power and provision. But you've arrived at the wrong answer for the right questions. You've arrived at the wrong answer for the right questions. And what's so beautiful and what's so important for us to consider is that he used those right questions as a bridge to lead them closer to the one true God who created all things. Because it's easy, isn't it? I mean, we all know this, to be so blind to, to any perspective that we don't agree with that we just dismiss it. We, we just cut off all communication. We, we, we don't rip our garments, right? I mean, that, that's expensive and could be awkward. But, but we, do, we do run out in the crowd and we do yell and rant and shriek like a raven on Twitter and Facebook. What if instead, what if instead we responded like Paul and said, hey, hey wait a minute. Maybe there are some good questions here. Maybe there are some legitimate God-given longings here. Maybe my neighbor or, or my friend or, or, or my coworker or, or my child, maybe they're pursuing wrong answers and that breaks my heart. But what if I could try to better understand their perspective? How do they see it? Why, why were they... Why were they so moved by that movie? Why do they find that, that show so compelling? Why does my son listen to this? It just sounds like noise to me. Why does my son find this music so compelling? Why does he love this band? Maybe I can help them to see that, that Jesus is the right answer to their good and honest questions. But I have to listen to those questions. I have to understand their perspective. Paul understood that our witness is more effective when we engage someone on their terms. That's such an important takeaway for us this morning, those, especially those of us who are, who are believers, who are believers. But I want us to consider a second takeaway, and this is probably more important. Uh, if you're here this morning and you consider yourself you know, frankly, something of a, of a non-believer or, or you're not sure about, you know, what you really believe. This is a lesson about faith, a lesson about faith. The second takeaway from this passage reminds us that authentic faith is about both uh, turning from and turning to. Authentic faith is about turning from and turning to. Luke tells us in verse 15 Paul pled with the townspeople to turn from vain things to a living God. Turn from vain things to a living God. It was the philosopher Soren Kierkegaard who said there are two ways to be fooled. One is to believe what isn't true and the other is to refuse to believe what is true. And that's important because it reminds us that faith begins, faith begins when God gives us the grace to turn around, to, to turn from. That, that, that's conversion. 
Uh, it, it's, like, it's like the elderly woman who was watching the news uh, on TV one morning and all of a sudden she heard a traffic update uh, about somebody who was driving on the wrong side of the medium on the expressway, the very same expressway that her husband used in his commute to work. And, and so a little concern for him, she decided just to give him a, just give him a quick a call to alert him to the problem and caution and be careful. But when she warned him that somebody was driving the wrong direction on the highway, replied, honey, it's not just one car. They're all going the wrong direction. <laughs> Conversion is when we realize that our petty idolatries, worshiping money, popularity, beauty, marriage, boyfriend, girlfriend, perfect kids, good grades, Instagram likes, the right politics, the right job, all those things that we think will fill our hearts with food and gladness. Look, a lot of that, a lot of that is rooted in legitimate God-given longings, but we're traveling in a direction that will not take us where we want to go. The scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is the way of death. We need to turn around to turn from our vain idols. The, the biblical term for this is repentance. Repentance is to have a change of mind. But then, then we don't just pull over and, 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 and stop there and kind of enjoy the, the view. By God's grace, we now move forward on the journey of living into the likeness of Christ. That's turning to. That's turning to. You know, uh, uh, I'm sure there's some of us here this morning who kind of, our idea of Christianity, maybe it's the way you were raised, maybe it's the way you are parented, or maybe it's just kind of what you think the culture sort of believes. Some of us think that Christianity is about all the things you stop doing. You know, the things you turn from. Like you don't get tattoos, you don't, you don't use TikTok, you don't wear yoga pants, uh, you know, you, you, you're not going to uh, be caught dead watching HBO. But if that's the path you're taking, you probably already know this. It's possible to turn from all of those things and still wonder, why is it that I still feel stuck with no real joy, no real vitality in my journey with Christ? Why does that happen? Well, here. The passage reminds us that it's not just what we turn from, it's who we turn to. It's who we turn to. Authentic faith is when we trust God's grace to help us do both, turn from and turn to. Well, despite uh, the difficulties Don Richardson was facing, he slogged. Every day, day after day, they're in the village, living among the Saudi people, trying to learn better their language, trying to better understand their perspective. And then finally, finally, the day came when there was a dramatic breakthrough. Uh, it turns out the Saudi people were involved in uh, a, a war with a neighboring tribe, and the conflict was costing blood and resources on both sides. So finally, the chief of the Saudi people sought to make peace by sending to the other tribe, what was called a peace child, a peace child. Uh, apparently among the Sali people, the custom was that the king of one tribe could make peace with the people of the other tribe by sending his son to live among the opposing tribe. Uh, 
And the arrangement uh, was arrangement of peace. As long as the peace child was alive, there was going to be peace between the two between the two tribes. And that was the story. That was the bridge that Don Richardson used to unlock the wonder of the gospel, because he began to proclaim Jesus as God's peace child. God's to a world at war with with God and ourselves. Jesus was given by God. His son was given by God as God's peace child. Only this peace was not temporary because even though they killed God's son, he still lives. He still lives and he offers to all of us peace through the blood of the cross. It was the beginning. It was the beginning of the gospel breakthrough in the Sawi culture. And believe it or not, to this day, there is a thriving church among the Sawi people of Irianjaya, Indonesia. And you know what? You know what? Uh, that same God who, who changed lives in that Sawi village and that same God who healed that lame man that day in Acts chapter 14, that same God can change your life, my life this morning through that same miracle of God's peace child, Jesus. The scripture says that, that all of us are headed in a direction of our own choosing. All of us are headed in the wrong direction by nature. We worship our own personal deities and, and false gods and idols on a collision course with reality. It, it's, it's a problem the Bible calls sin, sin. And, and just like that lame man, we are crippled by our sin and we've been that way from birth. It's our nature to turn from the one true God and worship created things instead of God the creator. But men and women, here's the great news. If you have never understood this this morning, maybe this morning is your day, you get it, that, that, that through Jesus' death on the cross, by God sending to us his peace child, and by the power of the Holy Spirit living in us, God gives us the grace to turn from our sin in repentance and to turn to him in life changing relationship with Jesus. If you're here this morning and you've never made that decision uh, or, or, or maybe you're here this morning and you're just, yeah, you kind of made it, but frankly, you're sort of sick of being just limping along in life, crippled by fears and addictions and anger and memories that continue to haunt you, maybe from your childhood, I want to encourage you this morning to accept this Jesus by faith because this is a God who, who loves you, who knows intimately your longings, your questions, who by his power can bring healing to our lives and by his spirit, he can help us, any of us, once again, stand upright. And, and, and that's not fake news. That's good news. That's good news. Let's pray together. Maybe right now as you're sitting there, I, I, I think it's quite possible there's some of you just like that lame man sitting in the crowd and you feel something stirring in your heart. This rings true. You're tired of limping around. In sin, you're tired of limping around with your addictions and and your hurts.
prejudices and you want to stand upright, today there's a God who can heal you. I want to invite you this morning to say, Lord, I'd, I'd like to make this decision. And, and, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to make that decision, you could, you could um, even now as you begin to sing in a moment, you can maybe make your way down to the front here. We have some folks who would love to pray with you and talk with you and, 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 and maybe help you kind of walk through this. How do I understand? How do I make this decision? Or maybe you're here today, and again, this is you know one of many, many Sundays you've come and you've listened to one chapter after another, but today God has stirred your heart and say, you know what, you've turned from, but you haven't fully embraced turning to and there is goodness and gladness waiting for you. Maybe this morning you want to make that decision. If you need prayer, again, as we sing, I want to invite you to come. Lord, you're a gracious God. Even though we are broken, even though we are crippled by a fall, you love us. You don't give up on us. You don't toss us out. Even with our crazy ideas, you still embrace us and invite us to come to yourself. Would you right now, this morning, speak to our hearts by your Holy Spirit and move us, Lord, move us. We don't know about one person in the crowd that day, one person that made a decision, but that guy, that one guy went from being lame from childhood to walking and leaping and running around with joy. Lord, that could be the story of anybody in this room. We pray all this, Lord, that you would speak to us in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.